Heavenly Father, as we gather today, in obedience to your word and to your will that you have established when you were walking with your disciples on this earth, you said that, do this, do this thing, this fellowship, communion, this prayer, in remembrance of you. So Lord, we come to you today and ask, would you cause your life, the life of Jesus Christ, be abundant in each one of us, that we would be filled with the joy of salvation, with the hope that you did not leave us alone, that you are here with us, that your spirit is here leading, guiding, empowering us to the things that are beyond that which we can see and hear and understand. But open our eyes. Open the spiritual understanding that we might come to see and to know that you are at work all around us. The things that we do not see are not reality. But what you are doing and how you are moving in our midst and outside of our understanding is eternity. And so I pray that today as we partake in the elements, in the bread and in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we become part of this work, this salvation that you have begun since the beginning of creation and continue until we see your Son, Jesus Christ, descend upon the clouds and that we will be forever with you. Be with me today as I deliver your word. May it go out with your will be done and established upon the hearts and the ears of the hearers that we who have ears might hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the faithfulness and for the resiliency of your people in the time such as this, even right now, Lord. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What is the purpose of God? The question that many churches today are asking those who are sitting in the congregation is, what is God's purpose for you? That's not the question I'm asking today. I don't believe that it's the question that the Bible is asking. The Bible is asking the question, what is God's purpose? Not what is God's purpose for you? We are living in a society where everything is turning inward. Everything is about me. What is it that I get to gain out of God's work? How am I being used by God? What are the, what are the gifting and the offices that God give me so that I can fulfill something for divine purpose? But I believe that that is wrong. That is not the will of God. The will of God is that we need to know what is His will. Aside from us, what is the will of God in this world today? What is the will of God for the church throughout the history? What is the will of God beyond our lifetimes here? That is the question we need to ask. And when you put your mind into that perspective, you realize that we are very insignificant. Now, I'm sure that's not something that you hear a lot in churches today, talking about how marvelous and wonderful we are. But in reality, we are very insignificant in the scope of what God is doing. But God has mercy upon us, and he looked at us, and he cherished us, and that's what makes us significant in him. But our value, our innate value, is very insignificant. And God could have said, no, I would not save you. And that's okay. But that he has chosen to save us. The angels do not get saved. 
The angels have no salvation. But God has chosen humanity as a people whom he said, I will have mercy on them. And so Jesus Christ came and became a little lower than the angel. What is God doing? What is the purpose of God since the beginning until the end? And are we walking with God or does he have to walk with us? Are we walking with God? Are we on his journey or does he have to fit into our agenda and our journey? Let's turn the question around and say, what is God doing? And how can we walk with God? How can we come to understand what is the will of God for his salvation, for eternity? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual discernment. Are you concerned with what God is doing in the world today? At the end of your day, when you're in the comfort of your bed, do you ask, Lord, have I lived this day according to your will and your purpose? As a follower of Christ, we constantly examine ourselves. Are we still walking with the Lord? Have you ever engaged in some work, and then at the end of it, you realize that you've gone off the rails, didn't do what you're supposed to do? Have you ever written an essay and then at the end of the essay, it's not what you started with? We should evaluate or walk constantly with the Lord by asking God, am I still walking with you or am I asking you to walk with me because I see that is nice over there? We need to walk with Jesus. We need to be able to hear the good shepherd. The Bible says, my sheep hears my voice. Are we hearing God's voice or we are hearing the voices in our heads or our friends or wherever else? Many people are excited in yesterday's uh, celebration. And I ask the question, are we excited about God? People travel many miles to be at the wedding celebration, but a short distance to church is too long. Are we interested in the things of God or are we interested in our own things, the things that make us happy? We dress nicely. We go to to places where we think that they are important to us, but in the house of God, well, God understands. Does he? Do we know the will of God? Can you discern the Lord's will and the world's lust? Is there a way for you to measure, is this the will of God or is this my will? Is your heart inclined toward the spiritual or the carnal? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. One propensity of the carnal mind. First Corinthians, the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul gave the answer to the question he's asking in chapter 2. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. There are three words in here that I want you to focus on. Number one is spiritual, number two is carnal, and number three is babes. They look like three stages but actually, there are only two. As create beings, we exist in two distinct states. The carnal, which is when you're born, every person who is born is born in the carnal state. And then you need to be born again into a spiritual state. So there are only two states for every created being. A carnal state and a spiritual state. However, the spiritual state has three stages in them. The first state is infancy. The second is maturity. And the third state is perfection. Now, don't get me wrong going toward perfection, not in a perfected state. 
like the Lord Jesus Christ says, that be ye perfect as my Father is perfect. That's where we are heading toward. So maturity going into perfection. And the perfection state is when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, not in this life. When the Christian is born again, he is a spiritual infant. Someone who's just born, has no ability to feed itself. The infant has no knowledge or very little knowledge of the spiritual things. So in a way, an infant Christian is like a carnal person. There's no difference. It's hard to distinguish an infant in the Lord and a carnal person because the baby will cry when it's hungry, just like a carnal person will cry, not audibly, but I want this, I want that, pursuing after the lust of the world. The Christian behaves in similar manner, could be confused. The question is, have you been born again and is an infant? Or have you not been born again and carnal? Can you tell the difference? Do you know which one are you? And that's what we are trying to discover today. Are you an infant? Are you a carnal person? Are you a person who matures in Christ and head toward perfection? Paul answers this question. It's rhetorical because he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth by saying that he's going to speak to the church at Corinth as if they are babies in Christ. They are infant in Christ. And he hoped, and I hope, that we are all, if we act and behave as carnal beings, we are infant in Christ and not as unsaved, unregenerated sinners. The church at Corinth exhibits behaviors similar to the world. It looks very much like the world. And here's what he said in verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, For ye are yet carnal. The, the apostle Paul says, The church, you guys, are very carnal. And here's what he says. Where, whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You see, the carnal men exhibit these kinds of behavior. We fight with each other. Mine. I want you to do that. Why don't you do the way that I do things? Who baptized you? Who, who gave you that? Who gave you permission? We fight and we war against each other. We don't act toward each other in love. And he said, you, you're yet carnal. You're just like the people in the world. Or the apostle Paul says, I hope that you are babes in Christ. You are infant in Christ. And one day you will grow up. That's what he's asking. That's what he's hoping. That's what we are reading here. Why are you more inclined toward the will of the flesh? Why are you pursuing after the things of the flesh? rather than the things of the Spirit. Because we are familiar with the flesh. We're born in the flesh. we either not born again, or we have been born again and is still an infant. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. In here we read, God gave them over, meaning God allowed them to continue to act like babies or to act as carnal beings. Reprobate means rejected. The, the opposite of reprobate is election. Election is just a Latin term for choose, choice. God chose you or God reprobate or reject you. Because of Adam's disobedience, we are born in sin and remain in sin until we are born again. We are, in fact, rejected of God. Everyone who is born in Adam is rejected of God, is reprobate. And everyone that is not born again in Jesus Christ is reprobate. And those who are born in Christ started out as infant. 
look just like the carnal man because there's no knowledge of God. And how do you gain knowledge? You gain knowledge through the study of God's word. You gain knowledge through the teaching and the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, not without the word. You have to have this word in you for the Holy Spirit to begin to work. Remember when Jesus walked with the two friends on the way to Emmaus, they already have the knowledge of the scripture. Jesus expounded what it means to them. For some tradition, we say, well, the Holy Spirit teaches me everything. Well, without the word, there's nothing to teach. The seed that is planted in your heart needs to be watered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit causes you to grow. Remember, in the same passage, Paul says that some planted, some water, but God cause it to rise. So the church is responsible for giving you or teaching you the scripture. There are four things that the church did in the beginning. The first century church, when they got together, they did four things. The number one thing is to teach the doctrine of the disciples. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. First thing, teach the doctrines of the disciples. Second thing is fellowship. Virtual is a form of it, but it's not it. Third thing, is what we just did, communion. And the fourth thing, the last thing, is prayer. Are we praying together? These things are the things that the church is responsible for, but God, through the Holy Spirit, caused you to grow. Same book, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal mind fights against God. God needs to change it. And the way God changed your mind is through the study of the word. The word of God changes our mind and the Holy Spirit begins the process of regeneration if you're born again. Now, if we don't have any propensity or inclination toward the spiritual thing, the question I would ask is, which state are we in? Are we carnal, have not yet been born again, or born again and have not mature? Obedience to God's law profits you nothing. You you can read the word of God and it does not profit you if the Holy Spirit isn't working in your life. Remember when the disciples, when Peter were preaching with the disciples and they were caught, they were um, brought before the council and they said, why are you still preaching in the name of Jesus? And the apostle Peter said, should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Gamaliel got up and he says, be careful what you're going to do to these men because you might not know that you are fighting against God. You see, the Pharisees, all they do is what? The study of Scripture. But they have no idea what God is doing. They got no clue. So we can be the people who study this all the time, but if we have no knowledge of God is doing through the Holy Spirit, we're not spiritual beings. We're just like the Pharisees. So Paul says, I came to you, not with the excellency of speech, no wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. In verse 1, he said, that's not why I came to you. I did not come because I have all these credentials. A Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, that's, that's not why I came. He said, concerning the law, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, as touching righteousness, which is in the law. This is what he said, blameless. Paul has all the credentials. And he said, no, I did not come to you with all of those credentials. This is how I come to you. And he said in verse 2, of, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He came to us and the gospel delivered to us not with the excellency of speech or my persuasion or anyone's persuasion, 
who caused you to believe in Jesus Christ. It has to be the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's not something I can say, well, the Holy Spirit's working in you. It's something that God must do. God must do that. And how does God do things? By we getting on our knees and get God, visit me. The only way is through prayer. Paul did not rely on human wisdom to convey the spiritual things because the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. You must be regenerated. You must be born again to understand the spiritual things. Instead, he relies solely on the power of the gospel. By me speaking the gospel and you hearing the gospel, the gospel has power to save those who believe. And how do you believe? Through God's grace, we believe. Not through your understanding of, gospel, of the gospel that you believe. The power of the gospel is manifest through his spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is working through you today, then you will come to know and understand the spiritual things. And the reason why he did this, the Apostle Paul did this, is that their faith would not be built on man's wisdom. If I stand here and convince you of the things of God, and you believe what I say, and because you believe what I say, you build your faith on what I say, and not on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives. And so when I fail, and I will fail, and one day you will see basketball running out there and doing crazy things, and your faith will fail because I fail. So the Apostle Paul says, I did not deliver to you these things because of my intellect and my wisdom or man's wisdom, but on the power of God, in verse 5, he said, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Your faith should not be built on wisdom of man. Your faith should not be built on a nice quip that you see on social media. Your faith should be built on the wisdom of God, the power of God. The Holy Spirit must work through us. And that's how we see what God is doing in this world today. By seeing God's working through people, we are unfamiliar with the spiritual. In verse 7 and 8, let's look at it. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. We are unfamiliar with the spiritual because we are born in the flesh, so the things that are natural to us are the things of the flesh. So to understand the spiritual, we need to learn the spiritual. It's something different, not innate in us. A child needs to learn that it doesn't need to cry. The mom will feed it. At some point, the baby will learn that it doesn't need to cry. You know, it will be taken care of. But that's something it needs to learn. But when it's born, its innate drive to live causes it to cry out. Hear me, listen to me. I need food, feed me. And the carnal or the infant in the spiritual realm is the same thing. It doesn't understand the spiritual, so it does things, well, like babies. Because if we knew, Christ would not have been crucified. But to prove that we are carnal, everyone who is born of Adam is carnal. Jesus Christ was crucified because we did not understand the spiritual. The spiritual here says is wrapped up in mystery of the gospel. It is hidden in the gospel. Not because that the gospel is preached through the explanation of the preacher that you understand, but the fact that the gospel is preached the innate power of the gospel causes you to understand the spiritual. If God has graced you with the knowledge to understand, the wisdom of God is hidden, only revealed through three aspects. Number one, it is the gracious revelation of God and God alone. God is the only one who reveals the mystery of the gospel to you. No one else can. No guru, no smart 
pastor or educator can unlock the mystery of the gospel. It is only God's grace. Number two, it's only through the preaching of the gospel. If you have never heard the preaching of the gospel, it is never revealed. And only to those who God has sent. The preaching of the gospel needs to be ordained by those who have been anointed to preach the gospel. We have a rich history that goes back since the beginning of time. We need to be connected to the biblical narrative and not some kind of maverick offshoot. Yeah, I'm doing this thing really cool now. And it could be cool now and something else cooler might happen along the way, but it's not the genuine article. It didn't come from the heritage of the gospel, of the scripture. And number three, the Holy Spirit changes the heart and mind of the hearers to understand the will of God. The Holy Spirit must work. Paul continues to press the point by saying that eyes have not seen nor ear heard, entered into the heart of man things which God had prepared for them that love him. What does that mean? It means that we don't understand. That's all it means. That passage just means that we, we don't understand. It, it, those things for you to understand, the Holy Spirit needs to reveal it to you by his spirit in verse 10. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. It is the spirit of God that will reveal the spiritual things to us. The deep things of God are hidden to the carnal mind, the mind of the enemies of God. We cannot understand God. How do you perceive things? You perceive things because you love. We receive things. We understand things because we love. It is not a pursuit of knowledge. It is a pursuit of love that causes you to understand. And that, that is so critical. That's fundamental. When you love someone, you seek to understand. When you love something, you seek to know more. A hobby, if you love it, you will tear everything apart and look at the minutiae details, every little screw and every spring. You look into it. If you love something, you will find all the resources that you have to figure it out. If you love God, you will find out who he is, what he's doing, and how you can participate in his work. The question is, do you love God? Is God the pursuit of your life, the love of your life? If you hate me, you won't listen to anything I say. If you love something, you love someone, you will pursue the knowledge of that. The deep things of God are not revealed to his enemies. They are revealed to those who love him and pursue him. But God did not leave us in a state of hopelessness. If you are an enemy of God, you cannot be reconciled to God because you raised your hand and you said, I'm surrender. You know, I surrender, God. Can you take me back? It doesn't work that way. God sends his son. Jesus Christ came. And he took us in. He reconciled us. And he became an enemy to God so that God can accept us. Jesus Christ paid the price that we should have been responsible for. And because Jesus Christ was made flesh just like us, he took our place. And now we can stand before God unblemished, redeemed, justified because of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Jesus Christ did the work of reconciliation. He caused us to be reconciled to God. That's the work of our Savior, the Lord. 
When we are God's enemy, our minds are darkened. We do not understand and cannot understand the things of God, the spiritual things. Esau sold his birthright. And the reason why he sold his birthright, because he didn't understand the value of it. When he came to understand the value of it, he lost it already. And many people who heard the gospel did not understand because their minds are darkened. So they reject the gospel, but that's the only thing that would save them. Ignorance is what's going to destroy us. But by God's grace, we have inheritance through Jesus Christ. Jesus approached the disciples. Jesus approached every figure in the gospel and caused them to follow after him. By God's grace, we've been redeemed through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. We are now reconciled to God meaning now you can be saved. Reconciliation is to make peace with God, and now you are at peace with God. God can save you. God will save you. And now you are born again in Christ, in that infancy state, by His Spirit. How do you discern? Two, attaining discernment. Chapter 3, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For Hitherto, you were not able to bear it, neither yet now you are able. What the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth is that I'm speaking to you as if I'm speaking to you in Greek. Maybe he is speaking to them in Greek. You look at the baby and you start talking to it and it looks at you and said, milk? They don't understand. They don't understand what the Apostle Paul is telling them because they, are, they cannot spiritually discern what he's saying. So he said, then I need to feed you milk because that's all you know. Milk. Okay. Then I'll give you milk. Okay. Ten years later, milk. Okay. I continue to give you milk. And that's why he's saying, he said, I cannot speak to you any other terms than milk because that's all you know. We have a generation of people who have been growing up in the church who's still looking at God and said, milk. That's all we know. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling the, the church of Corinth. I don't know how long I have to be with you. I still have to feed you milk because that's all you know. You're still babes in Christ. The spiritual sustenance consists of milk, and that's it, sugar. That's all it is. Different forms of sugars. Glucose, fructose, whatever else it is. That's all we eat because that's all we know. This, it's easily digestible because when it's sugar, it goes into your body. There's not a lot of work to be done to digest it. It's already in its final form. And a lot of times in the church, the church is fearful to talk to you about anything that is deep and meaningful and spiritual because most people don't understand it. They're just going to kill over and sleep because they don't understand it. Give me sugar. I know that. Your brain look at the cake and the frontal region lights up and said, I know, I want. Give me bread. But when the things that are good for you, the things that cause you, your digestive system to work harder, like vegetable, don't get, no, I don't see the benefit of it, working too hard. So the spiritual sustenance consists of easily digestible doctrines of the gospel instead of, of the sublime mysteries of God's will. Immature state, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, 
and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. A person who has not mature continues to drink milk because he has no digestive system for anything that's stronger. It will kill him. That is the point where I would say, this is my opinion, I would say that that person needs to reevaluate. Am I a babe in Christ or am I not born again? Because God has no children who will not grow. Everyone that is born of God will mature and grow. So if you're given enough time, if the tree is planted by God and it has the right seed, it will grow into the tree that God has purpose. But if it's not, if it's tares instead of wheat, then it won't grow. There will come a point when, ah, that, that's, that's not from God. So examine yourself. Figure out how long have you been with the Lord? Have you matured? Have you grown in your knowledge of the spiritual things? Primary spiritual education is important. You cannot feed kids like, like a big meal. It will die trying to consume it. But that, it, it can't be in elementary school for how long? How long should you be in elementary school? Elementary spiritual school. How long should we be there? We, we hope we'll be there for a short time and then go on to middle school, right? Hopefully, and high school, probably. Many Christians are still in elementary school. We're still telling you the fundamental things of God, like doctrine of baptism and go on to read Hebrews. They have no spiritual maturity to employ spiritual discernment. There's no discernment. We look at things and we can't tell whether that's something from the flesh or that's something from the Holy Spirit. They still need to be instructed in what to do and what not to do like a child. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do that. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? Apostle Paul says that you're still contending over little trivial things. Or can you just say, I don't need anything but Jesus Christ. The immature Christian behaves like the carnal man unless they grow and mature in the knowledge of God. Sensitivity. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Do, do you, can you discern that the Holy Spirit is working? Is there sensitivity to what God is doing? Can you sense that this direction leads to life or leads to death? Is there that spiritual discernment within you that comes when you are full of age, that, that comes with maturity? As you get involved into a subject, you learn more and more about it, and it becomes second nature to you. In the beginning, when you learn how to drive, you're fearful of trying to keep the car straight. I'm driving in the freeway and everything is fine, but when they have construction and they put those walls on the left-hand side and you're all out on the fast lane and you drive really fast because everyone's driving fast, I'm so afraid of hitting the wall because I'm unfamiliar with driving. If you don't invest your time in the spiritual things, you don't learn it. And if you don't learn it, it don't become a part of who you are. Like, like he hasn't been working with the camera for a long time, and so now he touches everything, falls down. <laughs> he should be doing this with his eyes closed. Everything in the spiritual realm is the same way. You become familiar with something by investing a lot of time and, and effort into it. A spiritual person inclines to spiritual things. When you hear something that is not biblical or is not spiritual, your mind discerns it. Your, there, there's a propensity in you say, 
there's something wrong with that. I sense that that's not right. And so you search the scripture and say, yeah, that's not right. Because you invested so much time in the scripture that you can sense the spiritual things. You understand the spiritual things. Adam lost this ability to discern good and evil because he wanted to take it on himself to discern good and evil. And when he took the fruit, and the fruit is labeled the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when he took the fruit and tried to eat it, what that represents is he wants to own the responsibility of discernment. Now I want to tell you, you cannot own the responsibility of discernment. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is off limits to us. The Holy Spirit calls us to be able to discern, not we ourselves have the innate capability of discernment. We never do. It is the Holy Spirit that exercises the spiritual sensitivity in us as we walk with Him, as we walk with Him. To know the Holy Spirit is to have the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It's not something innate in us. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. God will show us as we walk with Him. God is active in the world today. God is working in the world today. Even though we don't see it, even though we don't understand it, God is active. He's working. He's working in your life. He's working in many other people's lives. Maybe you don't know it. And maybe you cannot discern it. Maybe you don't see it. It is the job of the church to seek the Lord and ask, God, what are you doing in the world today? As we recognize God's work, and what he's doing, we are drawn to those people in whom Christ is alive and the Holy Spirit of God is working. There's only one purpose. God has one purpose, is to reconcile the world unto Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read three verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Do you know that what you do affects other people as well? We don't exist in isolation. We exist as a community. And as a community, all behaviors affect other people, whether it be for good or for bad. So remember that. What we do affect others. And as the church of God, we should do things not only for our own benefit, but we should do things on behalf of others. You can be someone who's had all this memorized already. But the fact that you know, we engage in the reading and the activity of the scripture, of prayer, of devotion, of worship, all these things are for the benefit of the church. I just want to remind you that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In verse 18, and this is what he said, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. God is doing the ministry of reconciliation. He is drawing the world to himself. This is what God's doing. This is the only thing God's doing because there will come that consummate day when Jesus Christ will appear and all that belong to him will come to him. That's what God's doing. The question is, do you recognize that? Who is it that he is working through right now in the world? Do you recognize it? If you see it, then God has called you to minister to that individual or to be part of that work. That's what's happening. So the sensitivity, the spiritual discernment is to know what God is doing in the world today. Where is he moving? Who is he touching? What are the things that God are doing in the world today? And are you a part of that work? Not that I dream up my own agenda and ask God, could you bless me? But what is God doing? Can you be observant? Can we be observant to see what God is doing and run along and say, Lord, can I, can I partake in this? You, you know, the Lord comes and says, if anyone who would follow me, 
He didn't come and follow people. He asked people to follow him. There's a work and the ministry that Jesus Christ engaged in, and we need to follow him. And we still follow him. The church has been following Jesus Christ through all the ages. But today, it's bless me. Bless Jabez for his prayer. But we need to follow Jesus Christ. Not because I'm doing this. I think this is a good idea, so God bless me. No. God gives us the blessing so that we are enlightened to the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ and follow him and run after him. In verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's your ministry. If you are sensitive, if you have spiritual discernment, that's what you will do. You are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You will run alongside of those that God is working in and lift their hands up and be a part of that companionship to build the kingdom of God through reconciling the world unto himself. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you, I thank you, Lord God, that your truth will prevail, that you will cause people to come to the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. And in the days to come, Father, I pray that we'll become spiritually discerned, that we would know what you are doing and the work that you are doing in the world today. And help us, Lord God, to recognize those things that you are leading by your Holy Spirit and that we would come alongside and be partakers, Lord, of the ministry and of the gift and of the power of redemption through us. Lord, use us. Use us for your kingdom's glory and for your work and the ministry of reconciliation of the world unto yourself. And cause us, Lord God, to be full of your spirit in the days to come, to be full of joy and gladness that our pursuit, Lord God, is not uh, toward the things of this life, but toward the things of God and toward your glory. And may you be glorified in everything that we do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace.